Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 27. We're at the section in 1 Samuel where we're basically studying narrative units, chunks, large chapters even of Scripture, and it's because that's basically the way uh, this has been naturally divided as uh, the Scriptures were given chapter and verse. And so it's only appropriate that we take all of this at once instead of going line by line as if it's propositional theology or uh, even letters uh, from a theologian or a pastor to a church, uh, but rather these are entire stories and they're intended to be taken up as a whole. Uh, last time we came, we were in uh, chapter 26, and what we saw was Saul going back on his promises or his covenant uh, to David, that indeed David would be a king, indeed he'd be, be the one on the throne of Israel, uh, and as he swore to himself and asked David to likewise swear that David wouldn't cut down his house and cut off his line forever. And there was one chapter of a break. We have David uh, being uh, enticed in chapter 25 uh, by a foolish man. And now, uh, uh, then again, in chapter uh, 26, uh, they're, they're meeting once again. Uh, Saul has come after him. And... David has relied on the Lord, has not lifted his hand against him. Instead, he's gone into the camp. He's taken the spear, taken the jug of water from where he lay, and uh, confronted Saul, uh, enraged against David. And the Lord delivered David out of the hand of Saul, turning the heart of Saul uh, to go back and to leave David as he was. And so as we come to chapter 27, it should be a chapter of calm and peace. Instead, it's a psalm. Of, or a chapter of self-imposed exile uh, of David uh, acting out of his own sense of wisdom, uh, acting for his own salvation. So uh, let's read 1 Samuel chapter 27 and we'll study it together. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the six hundred men who were with him, to Achish the son of Maoch, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel. Nabal's wife. And when it was told to Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days of David, that David lived in the country of the Philistines, was a year and four months. Now David and all his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as Shur, to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land, and would leave neither man nor woman alone. <coughs> 
but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jeremielites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring the news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines, and Achish trusted David, thinking, he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you instruct and guide in the uh, inscripturated history of your people. But Lord, we can uh, know and learn uh, from the falls and uh, the waywardnesses of those who have gone before us, that we could be a people to avoid sin, uh, that we can examine our own hearts, that we can uh, press ourselves to the test of faith to simply ask the question, am I relying on the Lord in all things? Is the Lord my salvation, or will I act for my own? Father in heaven, we ask that you would give us understanding. O oh, Lord, encourage us, O oh, Lord, as we read and study your word together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sin rarely occurs in the lives of God's people when you might expect it. Usually we would think that at the very depth of pressure or hardship that that's when people are going to turn. They're going to fold in the really difficult season. But that's not the case usually and biblically speaking. Uh, it's one of the things that we see with some regularity and we may even see it of our own souls. Uh, instead, when does sin come in the lives of God's people? Well, sometimes, I'm even tempted to say usually, it comes willingly and shockingly after seasons of success and after the Lord's answer of blessing and his giving of forgiveness, specifically about our sins. And you can go from uh, this text that we just read and maybe you wonder, where is the sin? And I hope that as we study this, you can uh, begin to see it. There are going to be some things I point out and you're going to see, I, I trust, a descent in David. Um, in one way, regarding fear, to depart from the people, then to reliance on a foreign king, and then to atrocities committed by his hands to cover over the sins that he's already committed. And you're going to see in the passage that you can go from the mountaintop of faith to the muddy ditch of sin. And you're going to see David, the king of Israel, uh, precisely as he described himself to Saul, a man behaving like a flea who has fled to the enemies of the people of God, the Philistines. And so in verses 1 through 4, we're going to see the conspiracy of sin. The conspiracy of sin, verses 1 through 4. Verses 5 through 7, the deal of sin. The deal of sin, verses 5 through 7. And then in verses 8 through 12, the consequence of sin. The consequence of sin. As I mentioned, whenever we were coming to the passage this evening, that in chapter 26, we've seen David victorious in faith. Specifically, as Saul came out with his armies, the armies of Israel, 
armed, ready to go and to take David, that in faith he just took one man and he went into the camp of the Israelites. And what did he find? Well, he found the Israelites with a deep sleep that the scriptures tell us was from the Lord uh, being cast upon not only the king, not only the guard, but the entire army. And so he walks through untouched. And in the midst of the camp, with all of these men laying there sleeping, he has a conversation out loud with his companion. He's able to move about by the power of the Lord without a hand being laid upon him, without any concern uh, being raised against him. Uh, it wasn't as if people saw him and they said, oh, there's David. No, instead, this is the Lord's hand. This is his providence. This is his power being extended to David, a man who had been a man of faith. And it's an interesting thing because we've seen David, a man who has been bold countless times. We've seen that maxim that I introduced you to last week, that one man plus God equals a majority always. Doesn't matter who you're against, whether it's David and his God against Goliath, the giant, whether it's David and his God against the armies of the enemies of the people of Israel, whether it's David and his God against the armies of Israel themselves. He's been bold because he's got a powerful God. We've also seen that David countless times has been faithful. He's refused to strike Saul. He's refused uh, to be the man who, whenever Saul misses his head with a spear, to then take the spear and strike the Lord's anointed. Instead, he fears the Lord. He's faithful to God. And time and time again, that's played out. And this has been the regular story that we've read about David. Not only that, we've seen countless times that he's been delivered again and again, whether it was from Goliath, whether it was from Saul, uh, didn't matter. Uh, the Lord has delivered him from his hand. And there in chapter 26, we saw the deliverance of David from Saul as Saul relented and went back to his home. And what we've seen has been specifically this, that David has been putting his life in the hands of God again and again, and that the Lord has blessed him, and that the Lord has saved him, and that the Lord has been his refuge. And so David has been on a mountaintop. He has been a man victorious in the faith. He's been a man strong in the Lord, Yet, just like that, from chapter 26 to chapter 27, verse 1, we can see David going to the very ditch of despair and sin. Verse 1 is kind of long, and it gives us a little bit of this uh, departure. Uh, the redeemed or saved David, whose refuge has been in God, in verse 1, we read that David said in his heart, this quiet inner conscience that David is committing within himself, not as if he's having a conversation with another man or with the court of his men, uh, but rather within himself, this. He says, Now I shall perish one day at the hand of Saul. Now I shall perish one day at the hand of Saul. And you could go to chapter 27, verse 1, and you could read it and just go right on through and never make uh, the slow reading and the careful uh, handling of the text actually stand out to you. Because this is showing to you a difference. 
Because this is different. We've not heard anything quite like this regarding David. We've heard David consulting with the Lord. We've heard him doing that through intermediaries and priests. We've heard him doing that of the prophet Nob. We've heard him doing that with friends and discussing how he will be with Jonathan. But here it's David within himself. and It's a sinner taking counsel in his own fleshly sinful heart. And the wickedness of his flesh. And do you know what happens whenever you do that? Well, the same thing that happens to me and you. The wickedness of our fleshly hearts uh, stir us up. And it stirs him up in this circumstance to fear rather than to faith. And you can see the worldly logic there. It's, it makes sense. If you think about the context, here's David. And according to the flesh, if there was no God in heaven, there's been made yet another narrow escape. You know, he was this close this time. Saul was this close to getting David. That's what the mind would say. That's what the flesh would say. But what would the eyes see? And what would reality reveal? And, and the hand of God actually displayed it was what? An entire army fallen fast asleep. In the depths of sleep. A supernatural hand upon them. That's been the reality but the flesh of David and the heart of David would rather be stirred by his sinfulness to the logic of fear. One day by the hand of Saul I'll perish. And if you're not reading verse 1 and simply asking David the question, why do you think that? What in your life, David, would ever commit you to the fact in your mind, in your heart, that you're one day going to be killed by Saul? He's tried a lot. Other men have tried several times. You've been the lesser of two men with the greater God and have always come out without even a scratch, David. Have you noticed that we've not read of a, a single injury committed to David? The closest that we can come to it is David's feigning of insanity whenever he's before Achish as he sought refuge amongst the Philistines before. Why, David? It hasn't happened yet. Nothing in heaven or on earth would commit to you except your sinful heart and its false testimony that you are in any way in danger. David, you've just been snatched from the hands of a madman who was laid on his back, bare to you with freedom to take him out if it should have been your choosing. Yet you refrained because of a faithful heart to the Lord. But the counsel of a sinful heart is what? It's deceptive. And it is deceptive to David. And his fear builds up in him an overwhelming testimony that all he can think and then say within himself is this. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking my life. And that makes plenty of sense. In fact, it's not just the biblical text, but you can read it and uh, other ancient cultures, there's one very much more famous for it, and that is the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? But you've got to think about who he's talking about. He's not just going to the Philistines, he's going specifically to Gath. And who has been Goliath? Goliath the Gathite. He's the great man of Gath. He's their champion. He was their version of David, and well, David not only killed him, but beheaded him with his own sword and took off with these crown jewels of the Philistines' army. It makes way more sense, according to the logic, not just of heaven, but also of earth, that if you're going to plead to anybody 
the enemy of your enemy, this time is actually still your enemy. It's, it's Achish. Uh, when you went before, they wouldn't even have you. And in fear of Achish, what did you do then? You clawed at the door like a fool. You writhed like a madman, and they drove you out. It's as simple as that. Why would David think, if he's not safe with Saul, that he's going to be safe with the Philistines, yet the sinful heart testifies to him? Well, that's somebody Saul's afraid of. He's afraid. He won't invade the Philistines. He won't go there. And so you can see the worldly logic. Without consideration of God or his mercy, that it makes sense, even if it's sense-wearing blinders to David, and another thing I want you to see is that when the hearts of sinners conspire, they do so very quickly. Again, David's been at the very top of the mountain, the close of chapter 26. Then in verse 1 of 27, he dives headlong to the ditch of his own sin. Verse 1, he says in his own heart, now I shall perish. You go on. Verse 2, so David arose and went over with the 600 men. What's the space of time? Well, the scriptures, and here in 1 Samuel, are particularly uh, concerned with detail. Uh, it, it's, it's very careful and, and chronological, uh, the way things happen. And so what's the depiction? Well, it's, it's he had a bad feeling in his heart, a fear, feeling of fear. He thought to himself, I'll run to the Philistines. And as soon as he possibly could, verse 2, so David arose. That's, that's the intention of the author. So David arose as if he'd been laying on his bed at night. And then the very first thing in the morning, in fear, he arose. He took his men and he went. And he took all their households because, well, who wants to be in the service of David and lose their wife, lose their children with the madman Saul? Nobody. And they go and they run with 600 men, all their households, to Achish, the son of Maoch, king of Gad. And what do we find in the text? Well, it's that sin gave David what he wanted. Sin played into the desire of the heart of David, and that was safety on David's terms. The ability not to rely on the hand of God. The ability only to see and only to plot and only to plan the thing that he needed. And so what's the depiction whenever David comes into Gath? Well, it's not just the madman David. It's David in 600. It's David and a small army. It's David and his mercenaries. It's David the warlord. It's David, well, a free ally of Achish, the Philistine, against the people of Israel. Again, sin makes sense. Sin gives people what they want. He gave David exactly what he wanted. And in the lives of God's people, how does this play out? Well, it plays out like this. You were lost in sin and darkness, a hard heart, blind eyes, deaf ears, the full-scale experience of the unredeemed. And the Lord, in His mercy, through the testimony of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, gave a new heart and a new life and a new birth. And you were redeemed and you're a Christian. You're a child of God. A person bathed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sins are forgiven. You're justified. Not only the past sins, but the future sins. And you stand before the throne of God righteous because of what Jesus has done. And you live and you fight the good fight and you fight your sin. 
You have successes and you have failures. And in your failures, you run to the Lord and you rely on Him and you hand Him over in confession. Lord, look what I've done. And the Lord forgives. And the Lord forgives again and again and again. And over the course of life, the Christian finds themselves thinking of themselves, I wish I had this. I fear what my life will be like if I don't have that. I deserve this thing. I want that thing. And even in the lives of God's people, in the lives of Christians, in the lives of people who know the Lord and have experienced His mercy very personally, like David, all of a sudden, the sinful heart and the flesh conspires. And out of fear, out of a desire, out of a sense of entitlement, you think in your own mind, I would like him or I would like her or I would like that money or I would like that position. I want these things. This would make my life better, more stable, more pleasant. I like these things. Then in a moment you've forgotten the cross and you're headlong off into sin and it doesn't take but a second and you're in it. You're in it in just a second without a consideration of all the gifts that you've been given. And the conspiracy of the heart of sinners like us has gone straight on in. And it has progress, and it has logic, and it has, well, the ability to give you what you want when you want it. And that's how believers, like you, like me, find ourselves in the midst of sin. And you might say, I don't understand, Pastor. It's just David running from the madman. How is this sin? Well, we've even seen David uh, go uh, and uh, consult a prophet regarding where he shall go and how should he and his men and his people go and move and, and where should he actually set up camp. And what is he committed? Well, it's by the command that he should stay within Judah, near the people of God, in the land of promise, in the place where he's been called to be king. And so whenever he goes, it is an act of abandonment. Moreover, it's an act of submission to a foreign king who doesn't know the Lord and who blasphemes his name and who insults not only the armies of Israel, but the God of Israel. And he's gone and he's made himself the subject of one that wants to be his master and one who's going to call him into sin and who David's heart will find new ways to sin on top of the abandonment of the people of Israel and the land that's being held by Saul. And it's because he didn't have faith. It's because his heart failed and gave in to fear. And then we take up, and in verse 5 through 7, we see the deal of sin. Verse 3 tells us that David, is, uh, as he goes and enters into uh, the city of Gath to King Achish, that he does find uh, refuge, and he finds it simply. And the text is really uh, quite direct. There's, there's no difficulty. Again, you know, this depiction that I've given to you of, of David with an army coming and he's friendly and he's not out of his mind. He's saying, hey, I want to be your friend, your, your advocate. I want to fight for you even. Uh, this, this depiction, whether it's in the mind of Achish or the heart of David, nonetheless, it's still a portion of the whole picture. And how do we know that? Well, because that's what happens. That's where you get uh, down the road in the text that we've read. David then goes and gives himself as more than just a servant, but as a military force, a mercenary for an ungodly man. 
So he finds the deal that he needs. He finds the safety. Uh, he's there within the land of the Philistines. And in verse 4, we read very simply that whenever David fled to Gath, the flea who has fled, he no longer sought him. Saul left him alone. Then in verse 5, David turns to Achish. And in the midst of the safety, having gotten what he needed, that safety that he so sincerely wanted at his own hand, uh, he asked the king, this man Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? And so you can see this. Because the depiction is a man who's been one of Saul's court now, uh, a, a rising and trusted consort of the king, has been where? He's been in the palace and he's been near the king and living with him, but for David's own mind and his own heart, he thinks, well, I really want a town, I really want a place where I can be in charge of the thing uh, that, we're, that we're doing here. I, I don't want to be up under you, Achish. Why should I, your servant, can you see the difference? David, the servant of Yahweh, now David, the servant of Achish. Why should your servant, David, live in the royal city with you? And it's easy, the exchange it's quick, and it seems cheap. The deal's cast. So that day, verse 6, very simply, Achish gave him Ziklag. Now, Ziklag was not a place that had no one in it. It was a place that existed prior to David's taking of it. We're not told if it's a, a difficult thing or if uh, Achish just says simply, everybody move out. This now belongs to uh, the Hebrews and the Israelites, the people of David. Uh, nonetheless, we just read simply, uh, Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. A really wonderful thing that you know, it, was with, it was held in the hand uh, even after this time of the people of Israel. But what's the point? What am I getting to? Uh, after all, the text tells us in verse 7 uh, that they only lived there in the country of the Philistines for a year and four months. And it's this. That our sin tends to grow and it tends to expand. It's not just this initial uh, proposition to us. But you're, you're all alone. You're really lonely. Your loneliness is, is more than you can deal with. Just do this once and you'll, you'll feel better. And maybe that's how it starts. And yes, you act on your sin and that sin does give what it promised. It does give that instant um, sense of communion with somebody or whatever. It gives you that... Instant gratification of security with wealth or whatever the sin is. That relief of anger, that rage that goes out from you. Just, just act on it. Just let it out. Just do whatever you want to do. And you think, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to give myself one free pass. I'm going to give myself two free sins, ten free sins. And what you find is again and again what happens is sin contorts the hearts and the minds of God's people. And they go farther and farther and farther abroad because initially David wanted to be a refugee and now he wants to be a resident. The king of a country now intending to be the lord of a town with 600 people. And this is what our hearts do. We make deals with sin. We settle for less. We think of all of the gifts of God. And then in sin or in a, well, the service of our own fear, we just go down and down. We exchange the glory of the eternal God that can call or calls armies to fall at our feet, literally. We exchange that for 
a paltry village rather than a throne and a kingdom and the God of providence. And we have to be people constantly on guard over our own hearts, distrustful of the taste that we have, always examining ourselves and never giving into just one sin, saying as if, oh, well, I'll do it just this one time. It's the legitimized evil. It's the necessary thing. But rather always waging war for that which, which is within us and leaning not on our own understanding, but clinging to the God who gives all things in the God of providence. I do want to say to you before we move on, David is still a, he's still a man of God. He's still an Israelite. He's still in covenant. He's being wayward and sinful. But this isn't the end of David's story. I just want to remind you of that. We don't get to where David is pulled out of that in this chapter. But still, this is King David. And this David will be the great king of the people of Israel. And there's going to be one that comes from him that is his greater son. One that does not exchange his throne. One that does not throw down his crown, even for a moment. But I just want to say simply this. That David is in sin. He's not beyond grace and redemption. You go on and in verses 8 through 12, you see the consequences of sin. And here in verse 8, we learn really what the wage of the deal, what was the price uh, then brought for the city of Ziklag. Again, there had been the initial agreement for refuge, whatever that entailed. Maybe it entailed nothing. Maybe it was just goodwill from Achish to David. Now it's a town. Now it's service, verse 8. And David here becomes what? He becomes, well... The strong arm of the army of the Philistines. And before we go too deeply in this, I want to simply say, this is David, the man strengthened by God, given gifts, deadly gifts, gifts of warfare. Now he's using to worldly and selfish ends. And our sins as Christians can do the very same thing with the things that the Lord has given to us as gifts for the church and for the keeping of his people. For the blessing of our own souls. We can take, and sin loves nothing more, and Satan loves nothing more than to take us and make us his, and to be master over us, and to put us to work with the mouth that should praise the King of glory, to be a mouth that curses, hates, and derides. What do we see? Well, we see David, he sent as a raider, and it only makes sense, I'll say this, that in the mind of Achish, he's likely sending him out against probably Israel. Because that's the report that David gives. The text tells us uh, in verse 8 that where does David go and where does he strike? Well, he, in his own heart, his own mind, praise God, he refrains from striking Israel. We're told he goes to the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. And then we're told, because they're small people groups, okay, and this is likely scattered villages, okay, or possibly even uh, people who move from place to place and live in tents or something like this. We don't know totally, uh, but uh, they're, they're small groups of people that the text finds the need to even tell Israelite readers that they're the people who have been in the land of the Philistines from of old. Uh, these are the people that predate the Philistines. The Philistines 
history would commit to us are a people of the sea that came east and took uh, the land of the Philistines, a people who were there even before uh, the uh, Israelites came into the promised land. Uh, some of these are called Canaanites in other portions of the scriptures, uh, but nonetheless, they're not really people of renown. They're not great military forces, and, and this is who David's going toward. This is, this is not David standing against the army of the Philistines. This isn't David even standing against the Israelites. This is David raiding against the villages of probably unarmed men and women. Relatively defenseless people. And he's killing whole towns and villages. That's just the, the straight-on testimony. It's horrible. And it's ugly. And you begin to get an idea of why he does this. The text tells us very specifically that David, in verse 11, would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking they would then go tell about us and say, David has done so and so. So he's going and he's killing everybody. It's a total warfare against small, manageable uh, groups of people where, where he's doing what? He's covering for his sin. He's there. He's putting himself in sub subjection to a king. He's unwilling to go against the Israelites, although he's going to lie to Achish and say, yes, I've done this, I've done this. Look, here are all the things, the camels, the goats, the, the garments, all the wealth. Here, I brought this to you, this tribute, gifts to a pagan king, laying tribute before the foot of false gods. Uh, and, and, and it's just this one thing after another, the consequence of the sin, the consequence of the heart's departure from the Lord. It, it began here. I, I'm just afraid I want refuge. I want a village. I'm your servant. I'm the long arm. I'm going to do whatever you tell me. And then David takes it on his own to expand that sin. It's not as if this is a thing pressed by Achish, but a thing that rises up within David to then be acted out. You need to understand, friends, that the Bible doesn't hide the ugly things about its people. The great characters of the Bible are there with all their warts, with no excuse, with no downplaying it, no sweeping it under the rug. It's just there. It's just in black and white. It gives you the simple account, and it is intended to shock you a bit because David is concerned that it would shock it would possibly appall even Achish, uh, the Philistine. So rather than face his unwillingness to attack his own people, uh, he attacks people completely and wipes them out. These are not raids. These are exterminations. And it's a terrible thing. So the consequences of sin and where am I going? And it's this. It's, it's that sin grows. You can't take and deal easily with your sin. You can't just say, well, I'm afraid, and so I had a good reason, and so I did this, and so I was alone, and so I wanted this, so I wanted that money, so I needed that. I needed to pay this or pay that bill. You have to kill your sin. You, you can't let it stay and hang over your heart or over your life or even for a second play into it and give yourself into a circumstance that, that you're comfortable with it or you've received its gifts. Because your heart will only depart into more and more and worse. And sin adds to sin. 
and then sins are enacted to cover other sins. And the least sin, if you can even rank and grade sins, is the lie that David brings to cover. Oh, well, I got these from the Israelites, knowing that it would please Achish, who hated Israel. Oh, it's so much more than that. And so I want to say to you and to myself that we have to be people constantly in pursuit of our sins and a people constantly in reliance upon the Lord. A people who get comfortable with not seeing what the Lord will or won't do for our provision, but to simply rely upon Him in faith and know that if we come from the camp of the people of David into the camp, of the army of Israel, that the powerful hand of God will go before us. We're to fear no man, no king, but the God of heaven and our King Jesus Christ and act and live lives that are according to his words, his ways, and his commissions for holy living. And the very beginning of it is that we put sin to death. That we put sin to death. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for its transparency and its truth. Lord, we pray that you would lay conviction upon our hearts. Lord, that you would give us grace to kill sin. That, Lord, we wouldn't be comfortable in the things that we do that are not according to what you would direct us. Lord, when we act out of accordance with your law, when we act out of accordance with the grace of the cross... We act out of accordance with a heart of reliance upon your sovereign hand. Oh Lord, we ask for forgiveness. We ask for restoration in our own lives. Lord, we pray and plead with you for strength to stand against uh, the things that make sense to us, the things that our hearts would want, but that your word would not employ for us. Father in heaven, make us a strong people, a people who would grow in holiness who would nail our sins to crosses and look to the risen Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.